hello 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 welcome back to another new episode of the i don't care (laughs) i love it podcast i'm Haley. i'm your host i am in shambles today (laughs) and i'm gonna keep this brief because i'm pretty sure 99.9 percent of you guys first of all don't even know about fourth wing iron flame and second of all don't even care but like an hour ago i finished iron flame which is the second book in this empyrean series that just came out last week it was 24 hours of listening time and i used all of my self-control to never once listen to it on increased speed i did 1.0 you guys for the first like few days it felt like i was listening to it in slow-mo but took me 24 hours of listening time took me seven days to get through this book and I loved the entire book and the ending sucked. (laughs) I'm so distraught by the ending. Oh my gosh, you guys. Anyways, I don't want to give spoilers and most of you guys don't know and don't care, but I like literally physically trying to shake my head to get this whole thing out of my brain, I'm trying to remind myself that this is not real. Like, this Empyrean series is not real life. It has never happened and ever will happen. It's a fantasy book. And it's okay because it's not real. But man, am I emotionally attached to the characters and the plot and the story. And the end of book two shattered me. And that's just the worst thing that she could have written. And that's what happens. Oh, yeah. I do want to put a disclaimer, okay? I do not recommend this book, this series. I do not recommend you read Fourth Wing. I do not recommend you read Iron Flame, okay? For the reason of that it will purely consume all of your life and all of your thoughts for the rest of time. And also, number two, because it is very much rated R. And I know that most of my audience listening to my podcast don't necessarily love rated R content. This podcast is not explicit or rated R. And I know, I mean, I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, trust me, it's not your vibe. Okay. You'll know if it's your vibe and it's a rated R fantasy book. Okay. So I, I just have to say, I do not recommend it. I'm in too deep now that I can't extract myself from this situation. So I'm stuck in the quicksand, but get out while you can. Okay. Anyways, I was saying, <laughs> This is a perfect day for our episode topic today, which is our annual Thanksgiving themed episode. Happy Thanksgiving tomorrow when this episode comes out. Last year, I did a Thanksgiving deep dive episode. I love Thanksgiving. And it's not necessarily because it's not like Christmas where you count down the days and then you sleep with sugar plums dancing in your head and it's like the best day ever and your head hits the pillow exhausted and so happy. It's not necessarily like the day of Thanksgiving is the best day of my life. The reason I love Thanksgiving is the spirit and the reason and the symbolism around the day which the cliff notes is basically that it's unity, it's people coming together, it's burying the hatchet, it's all about relationships and all about gratitude. It's at like the end of the harvest season because, oh my gosh, look how much we have to be grateful for. We have so much to give thanks. You know, like let's share with everybody. I love the sentiment 
the symbolism, the gratitude, everything that surrounds Thanksgiving. So I wanted to do another Thanksgiving themed episode this year for Thanksgiving week. And this year I want to focus on gratitude. So gratitude is called by the ancient Greek, the mother of all emotions. And I want to talk about why. We all know that, you know, it's been proven to be an anti-depression, an anti-anxiety, that it has so many mental and physical, notably, health benefits. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And I did, for my own research, I wanted to deep dive into gratitude, how and why and what and where and who, how it works specifically, And I want to call this episode the neuroscience of gratitude. I am really into neuroscience. Speaking of, I want to give a disclaimer. I am not a neuroscientist, okay? I'm just a girl. (laughs) I'm just a girl with a bachelor's degree in nursing, so kind of even related. But I'm just a girl who loves to do research. I love to read academic journals. I love to read studies. I love to know how things work. I have a special love and interest in neuroscience. It is my wildest dream to be a neuroscientist. (laughs) And this is off topic, but I love school. I love learning. I love college. If I could, I would spend the rest of my life in college. I love it. Sometimes I want to go back to school and get a PhD just like for fun to be in college and get to do studies and get to teach. I don't know, maybe that's like a dream of mine that I've always had. And right now just doesn't really seem like the time. But one day I'll say, hey, Avery, can you watch Penny every day and pay all this money so I can go back to school for no reason, just for fun. But anyways, disclaimer, I am not a neuroscientist. I'm just a girl who likes to read studies. And I read a lot of studies just for my own sake. And I thought I'd do a fun podcast episode about it. I want to talk about the neuroscience of gratitude, how it works, the benefits, everything like that. And I'm going to share all my sources and all the studies in the show notes. So if you want to read those and reference, you are more than welcome to. I personally think they're really fun to read and reference. So if you do too, the studies and the sources will be in the show notes. So here we go. Let's start. Before we get into the nitty gritty neuroscience and physiology, Let's just first start by listing some, this is not a comprehensive list, but there are quite a few, some of the amazing benefits or the results of expressing gratitude. So per many, many, many studies I read, this is the list that I came up with of all the benefits listed that I could find, not a comprehensive list, of the benefits of gratitude. Number one is increased happiness. Of course, that one's pretty obvious reduced envy, increased self-esteem. It's been shown to improve your capacity for social bonds and to strengthen your relationships. Gratitude makes you helps you be more giving. It has shown increased spirituality, increased optimism. People who express gratitude were found to have more satisfaction in their jobs and also were found to find more purpose and meaning in their lives. Gratitude is shown to help People become less materialistic. It can reduce blood pressure. It reduces our expression of guilt, shame, and violence. Gratitude, expression, expressing gratitude helps participants recover from substance abuse faster. And again, we'll get into like the nitty-gritty neuroscience of how this works. I just wanted to list the benefits. Let's keep going. Decreased pain response helps with chronic pain improvement, improves sleep. 
decreases cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and also decreases the activation of the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. One study found a decrease in death anxiety. That's what they were looking for specifically. Increased resilience. Increases the gray matter in the brain, which is really fun. We'll talk about why. And lastly, it has been shown to prevent suicidal ideation. So gratitude is a superpower. It's so cool to read all these benefits. And you're probably nodding along like, yeah, I know gratitude is so awesome. Like it's the best. But even in some of these studies, the researchers are saying, gosh, there's so many benefits and it's so awesome. But it's also very easy to forget and to fall out of the habit. And we'll get into why as well. So let's get into the neuroscience. Okay, you guys, let's set the stage. This is one of my very favorite conversations topics is this setting the stage of the caveman default that we all have, right? Us humans, homo sapiens were created initially to survive in this like caveman society, which is basically like survive. You know, the caveman days are fight or flight survival. You need enough to survive. You're constantly assessing threats. You're looking to see You know, if you have the social alliances, if you have the physical shelter, if you have the food, the water available, your main job is to survive and to push forward the species. Those are the two main instinctual default settings that we as humans have, which we also talk about this in the like fertility, understanding your body episodes that I've done is we are hardwired to first survive and second to further our species. That's just how our body works works. So in this caveman society, we're always preparing for a life or death situation and not much else exists beyond that. Well, fortunately, that is not our reality anymore, right? We as a species have evolved over the thousands and thousands of years that we've been alive. Life has become a lot more comfortable, a lot easier, a lot more emotional and mental and a lot less physical, right? So fortunately, our reality is no longer constantly in life or death situations. I mean, of course, we still have wars, we still have horrible things happening, but by and large, for the majority of the population and for the majority of that population's life, we are not every single day in a life or death situation. There's a lot more freedom (laughs) to our days, to our actions, to our thoughts. Unfortunately, the hormones that govern our bodies are still the same as they were way back in the caveman days. So for example, whether you are stressed because a bear is chasing you or whether you are stressed because a family member said something that pissed you off, doesn't matter the reason, the outcome, the hormone reaction is the same. Cortisol is released. So let's talk really quickly about the fight or flight system. So I keep saying fight or flight, and I just want to, some of us are familiar with what that actually means. I feel like that's a really common phrase that's thrown around, you know, but maybe not everyone understands exactly what that means. So Going back to our caveman day description, because that is what our entire body, our entire pathophysiology, our reactions, our neuroscience, our hormones, everything is based off of that. So going back to that analogy, say you're walking in the woods foraging berries to eat for dinner for your family and you see a threat. 
you see someone from a neighboring village who is dangerous and they are a threat to you. You are now in the fight or flight response. What that means is you essentially have two options to survive. You have the fight option, which is to engage in combat, so to speak. Can you tell I've been reading fantasy? Which is to engage in combat and fight for your life. Or the flight option, if that is better for you, to run away and escape this threat. In order to accomplish either fighting or running away, fighting or flighting, your body prepares for both the same way, which is among many things that are happening, your body releases this cortisol, this stress hormone that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about. And it tells your body to shut off all non-essential functions. So digesting your food, thinking about spirituality and your boyfriend or whatever is not essential in this moment. What is essential is making quick, fast rash decisions to keep you alive and for your physical body to stop the non-essential functions like digesting your food and put that energy, that blood flow into the muscles in your legs and essential organs, your heart pumping faster so you can fight or flight. So your body can be working optimally for what you need. Then once the cortisol recedes and the fight or flight response is over, you can resume those other quote unquote non-essential functions, right? you know, all the maintenance work, the oil changing to keep things up and running. So now that we understand this fight or flight response, let's dive into a little bit more of what that means in this scenario. In addition to being in this fight or flight response, other things are happening, which is the amygdala center is, which is a part of your brain called the amygdala, you may have heard it before, is activated. This is such an essential part of your brain, but it can also cause a lot of problems. So the amygdala is the fear center and also the memory center. The amygdala is the reason that you know not to put your hand on a hot stove because the first time you put your hand on a hot stove, your amygdala remembered, oh, that was bad, that had a negative consequence. The amygdala lights up, remembers what was bad, and now makes you afraid of it so you no longer repeat that action. So the amygdala lights up. Other things that happen, like I said, is the cortisol causes your blood vessels to do what's called vasoconstriction, which is they get smaller. If you think about a hose... And say you're watering your flowers with your hose, you put your thumb over the top and make the hole of the hose, the diameter of the hose, smaller in order to increase pressure to get the water out faster and to go farther. So when you need to shunt blood flow from one place to another place quick and fast, you're going to vasoconstrict just like you do with that hose to increase your blood pressure. You're also going to have less serotonin, less dopamine, which those might sound familiar to you. Those are commonly known as like the happy hormones. Those are unnecessary. We're going to stop those release. We're going to stop those activation because that is not going to keep us alive. Stress, fear, anxiety, quick decision making, fighting, running, that is what is going to keep us alive. This is an amazing, amazing thing. It has kept our species alive for so many years. It has helped us progress to where we are. And then there are times when all of us have found this process, this reaction, this stress response, fight or flight, very, very helpful. Say you almost got hit by a car or I don't even know. <laughs> you were in a scary situation. It was beneficial to you. 
The problem here is that we are not meant to live in this stress response state for very long. It's supposed to be like a burst where everything happens, you survive, you escape the threat, and then everything goes back to normal until the next time you need it. However, in today's society, we find that we are spending more and more time living in this stress reaction, fight or flight response mode, and less and less time living out of it. Because even though our lives are more physically comfortable, they are becoming more mentally and emotionally uncomfortable. And our body can't distinguish a threat of your sister pissing you off versus someone from another tribe trying to kill you. Stress is stress and the response is the same no matter what. So this brings us all back to why we are talking about gratitude, which is Gratitude is one of the only and arguably the best way to get out of this fight or flight response to get back into ourselves and bring happiness back. One of the studies that I was reading, the researcher said, it is impossible for fear and gratitude to live together in the same breath. Very interesting to think about. It reminds me of, bear with me with a little personal story. So back in the day, As a kid, I was so afraid of being kidnapped. I think it's because it was all during, if you're from Utah, you'll, maybe if you're from the U.S., you'll recognize Elizabeth Smart, the whole story where she got kidnapped out of her bed and it was very scary. She was from Utah, which is where I'm from. And I think I was really, for a few years, really, really scared of getting kidnapped. In my family, my sisters and I, we have night terrors, like every night. (laughs) Runs in our family. Anyways, That was my night terror story for years and years and years. I was so scared of getting kidnapped. So I signed up. I asked my mom to sign me up for Taekwondo. And I went through Taekwondo and I got my black belt. I really wanted to be able to defend myself in the event that someone tried to kidnap me or tried to hurt me. Now, sometimes I would walk to Taekwondo. And as I was walking, for some reason, I was so scared I was going to get kidnapped on my way to Taekwondo. And one thing that I discovered as a kid, I must have been like 12, is I would walk to Taekwondo and I realized that if I started talking, just making a list of things that I was grateful for to myself in my head, I didn't feel scared anymore. And what I understand now that I didn't understand back then how it worked is I was turning off the fight or flight response because when you express gratitude, you tell your body, like, I'm not in a life or death situation. I'm okay. I don't need to be scared. I don't need to be afraid because look at all these wonderful, amazing things. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm healthy and I can be happy. So now let's get to the fun part, which is talking about how neurologically gratitude makes this happen. So first of all, like I said, talking about the things that you're grateful for in this immediate environment tells yourself that you are not, first of all, in danger. You're not in danger. There is no need to activate the fight or flight response and get ready to save your own life because actually things are pretty good. Things are pretty good around you. The other thing that happens is when you notice things around you that are good and also things that aren't in your immediate vicinity, physical things, like I am grateful for my family who is not here in this room with me right now, it stimulates the release of two very, very, very popular, powerful, hot topic hormones, which are serotonin and dopamine. 
there's a high chance that you've heard of both of these things. Most people know dopamine because it is the main hormone that is associated with drug abuse. People are chasing the dopamine high. It's what just makes you feel high. It was, it's what makes you feel good on top of the world. It's just what makes you feel happy in that sense. Serotonin, a lot of people have heard of serotonin because, I mean, it's in songs, like John Mayer talks about it a lot, but also there's a type of antidepressant medications that are relatively new and that are very popular this day and age, which are called SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. To give you the really quick explanation, serotonin is what activates the happy center of your brain and is what activates those neurons to tell the happy center that you are happy and you're not sad. And serotonin reuptake inhibitors prevent serotonin molecules from being taken out of that space and allow them to be in the space to activate the nerves in your brain and activate the happy center. So anyways, that that may be why you've heard of serotonin and dopamine. Serotonin and dopamine are the two strongest hormones other than like oxytocin, which is more related to love. These two are more related to pure, plain happiness. So gratitude causes the direct release of serotonin and dopamine, which is why it is quite literally a natural antidepressant and anti-anxiety, and it is quite literally a drug because you get this dopamine release and sometimes the serotonin release from things like heroin, (laughs) opioids, really strong drugs that people abuse. You get the same hormone release intrinsically just from expressing gratitude. There are very, very few ways to cause the natural serotonin and dopamine release. There are very, 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 very few things that you can intrinsically do. There are other things you can do, you know, like exercise, go outside, meditation and mindfulness are great, be around people, things like that can all help that release of serotonin and dopamine. But there are very few things that you can do just sitting by yourself other than mindfulness and meditation to always cause this release of serotonin and dopamine. In this one study I read, the psychologist's names are Shai Devenedi and Thomas Gilkovich. Um, they, this study that they did was called The Headwinds, Tailwinds, Asymmetry, and Availability Bias in Assessments of Barriers and Blessings. This was a 2016 study. They said, quote, we tend to focus more on the obstacles and difficulties of life because they demand some action. We have to fight and overcome them to get back into the normal flow of life. On the flip side, we forget to attend to the better things in life because they are, quote, already there and we don't have to do anything to make them stay with us. Practicing gratitude is the best way to remind ourselves of the things that give us the courage to move on in life. Isn't that sweet? So what they're getting at in this is the last piece of this neuroscience puzzle. And again, disclaimer, this is not the full thing, okay? This is bare bones. This is what my brain can understand and what I have the capacity to relate to you, okay? So don't come at me for it not being complete and scientifically perfect. But one really important piece of this puzzle is what we call neural pathways. And I'm listening to this podcast right now. I mentioned it, I think I mentioned it last week or the week before that Louisa recommended to me, my friend Louisa, which is called The Full Cup. And he talks about neural pathways and the psychologist gives a really great example that I had never thought of of neural pathways that is the best way to understand it and he calls it the deer running down the track. So in the wild, animals make paths, right? Like say, for example, there's a tree or there's a field or an area that has a lot of food. 
deer are going to cross that path so many times that it's going to end up being a really deep deer trail in the dirt and they're going to make their own path and it's going to be really deep and it's going to be really hard to get rid of that trail naturally, right? So something that is used a lot gets deeper and deeper and wider and a more set in stone pathway. Something that's not used very often, first of all, doesn't become very deep, very set in stone, and second of all, is easily washed away. So we have full control over our neural pathways. We are constantly creating new neural pathways in our brain and constantly turning over neural pathways that aren't as important. So for example, you may have been studying for a test once upon a time and memorizing the mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. You said it so many times and you created this really deep deer trail that you can recall that back even today, right? The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell because you went down that track so many times in your brain and it got so deep it's hard to get rid of even now. There are other things that you may have created a neural pathway for. Maybe you crammed for a different test and remembered which music composer wrote the four seasons. But then, you know, you didn't study that hard. It was just the night before. You only knew it enough to get it out on paper and then you never thought about it again. Well, that neural pathway is proving to not not be very beneficial or useful to you. So your brain is not going to keep it around. It obviously isn't worth the space, the energy, the time it takes. So we're going to get rid of that neural pathway and put a new one there instead, something that's more beneficial and important to us right now. I hope this is making sense. But essentially, we are always creating new neural pathways in our brain, which is the easy way to know where to go. If you're a deer and you're in the mountains and you're looking for food and you see a deer trail, you're going to know that's very beneficial for me to go. I'm not going to go through all this work to forge my own trail. I'm just going to walk on the already made trail. Our brains does the same thing. When we're in certain situations, we're looking for the neural pathways that are the strongest, that are the deepest, that are the most intact and the most used to make shortcuts for ourselves, to know what to do, to know what to think, how to react, etc. So if our neural pathway, if our default is to be in a situation and to be sad and angry and cause contention and whatever, if that's our deepest and our strongest and our most used neural pathway, you betcha that's what our brain is going to do. However, if our neural pathway to be in that a same situation to express gratitude and compassion and understanding and create peace is our strongest and our deepest and our most used neural pathway, you bet our brain is going to take that pathway instead. The amazing good news of this all is that we have full control over our neural pathways. We have full control over which ones we use, which ones we create, and which ones become the default simply by thinking that line of thought. So we can choose to create a gratitude neural pathway that will release serotonin, that will release dopamine, that will make us happy, get us out of the stress response, fight or flight, cortisol, downward spiral, and into the gratitude, serotonin, happy life. We have full control over this. Oh, I just love this so much. So let's read that quote one more time from our amazing psychologist. Let's read it one more time with that new lens of the neural pathways, okay? Psychologist Shai Davidadai and Thomas Gilkovich in one of their papers mentioned that we tend to focus more on the obstacles and difficulties in life because they demand some action. We have to fight and overcome them to get back to the normal flow of life. On the flip side, we forget to attend to do the better things in life because they are already there and we don't have to do anything to make them stay with us. 
Practicing gratitude is the best way to remind ourselves of the things that give us the courage to move on in life. All right, you guys, knowing what we know now about neural pathways, about neuroscience, about hormone releasing, all these things, let's go back through our list of the results and the benefits of gratitude. And now we can use our scientist lenses, <laughs> lens, I don't know why I said that so weird, our scientist brain, our scientist lenses to analyze why that is. So the first one, the most obvious one, is increased happiness. One study showed that keeping a gratitude journal and listing what you're grateful for every day for just five minutes improves our overall happiness by over 10%. In this study, they said, quote, those who pay attention to what is good in, li- in their life instead of what is bad are more likely to feel positively about their life. So we know that this increased happiness from this gratitude journal is most likely a direct result of one, that neural pathway going to feeling gratitude, feeling appreciation, noticing what's good in their lives just as a default. And second of all, to that drug, that hit, (laughs) that antidepressant medication of increased serotonin and dopamine of expressing gratitude. Number two, reduced envy. When you feel like you have enough. What's that quote that says, there's a quote that says like, when you love what you have, you have all you need. I feel like that is the explanation of this decreased envy. Number three, self-esteem. So there was one study that focused on this and there were participants who did this four-week gratitude contemplation exercise where they just contemplated all the things they're grateful for in their life and then the control participants did not. And this is a quote from that study. They said, gratitude can help you feel better about your circumstances, which leads to feeling better about yourself. Increased self-esteem. When your life is good, so are you, I guess. Number four, improves capacity for social bonds and strengthens relationships. This is like a combined benefit of giving us less energy, more self-esteem, more happiness. It gives us the capacity to focus less on ourselves and focus more on others. And that gives us the capacity to have, to have, to nourish, to forge more relationships and make our own relationships stronger. More giving. This study was really cool. So in this study, they had participants watch a movie and they told one group to list all of the things in the movie that it makes them feel like they're gra- they're grateful for about their own life. So say you watch a movie and in the movie the dog dies. You're so grateful that your dog didn't die or whatever. They watch the movie and they list all the things that they're grateful for about their life as a result of watching this movie. The second group watched the same movie And they were just told, just write down anything you notice. And then the third group were told to list things that make them like sad about their life. The opposite of gratitude, (laughs) make them feel bad about their life. Then as the people were leaving the test area and they thought the test was over, like this study that they agreed to be a part of, there was someone outside asking for help. And they found that the people who listed what they are grateful for, it was like 40% or something insane, more likely to help this person who was asking for help more than the control group. And then the person who was writing down things they don't like about their life was way less likely than the control group to be giving. So it kind of makes sense to me. It's kind of like obvious, but Feeling gratitude, expressing gratitude does make you more giving because you realize how wonderful your life is and you're more likely to help others. A quote from that study said, when you feel like you have enough, you are more likely to give. 
Also, when you are in a better mood, you are more likely to give since gratitude boosts our mood. So double whammy there. Increased spirituality. So this happens because taking away that fight or flight response makes us more able to focus on self-actualization. When you think about there's that famous Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, like first you need food and shelter, and then you need relationships. And then at the tippy top, once you have all those things, you can get to self-actualization and spirituality. That for sure plays a big role. And then also expressing gratitude helps you connect to the higher being, right? Because you realize that what you have is coming from them, from God, from whatever you believe in, from the universe. It does increase our spirituality. Increased optimism. I think that one's pretty obvious as to why the increased mood, life is great, things are good for me, increased optimism. More satisfaction in your jobs. When you recognize the good in your life, that also extends to your job and you recognize the good in your job and it's Harder to hate your job or easier to like it, maybe. Find more purpose and meaning to their lives. This one's obvious as well, I think. You know, you have stronger relationships. You probably do have a better life when you practice gratitude. And then you find more meaning in your life because you realize how good it is, how meaningful it is to have a good life. Less materialistic. So there was a study done on this and they talked about when you aren't looking for other sources to fill that happiness, like you aren't looking for shopping or for things and you focus on what you have. It reminds me again of when you love what you have, you have everything you need, right? You're not looking for other outside sources to bring that happiness because you have that intrinsic happiness. Reduce blood pressure. We now know why we have reduced blood pressure and we express gratitude because we have that reduction in cortisol and that vasoconstriction. Remember that that putting your thumb over the hose or the um, decreasing the diameter of your blood vessels isn't happening. Your blood vessels can open up all the way and you're not having those detrimental benefits of sustained increased blood pressure. It reduces our expression of guilt, shame, and violence. Guilt and shame, I think, are just related to that overall higher quality and satisfaction of your life. And violence, probably because you're not getting in fights as much, you're having better relationships, better interactions with others. The next one is helping participants recover from substance abuse addiction faster. There was this really cool study done where the researchers wanted to see if uh, expression or gratitude practice could help those recovering from a substance abuse addiction. So what they did is they had this group of people who were living in a substance abuse facility, so their lives were pretty much the same, their treatment was the same overall. They split them into two groups. One group was the gratitude group where for four weeks they kept a gratitude journal every day, wrote what was good about their life, what they're grateful for. And then the second group, of course, was the control group, kept everything the same. And they did find, as you're guessing, that the gratitude group was able to reach their substance abuse addiction recovery goals faster and had better outcomes overall in their addiction recovery. Next, improve sleep. So one thing we didn't talk about earlier is another result of this gratitude expression is that gratitude expression will also activate a section of the brain which is called the hypothalamus and one of the main functions of the hypothalamus is sleep. So gratitude improves and strengthens the functions of the hypothalamus which will also improve and strengthen your ability to have good deep sleep. So cool. 
Next one that we talked about, decreasing cortisol, the stress hormone, and decreasing that amygdala response. You are changing those neural pathways, so that is not the reaction when you're in the same situation anymore. Um, the increase, I'm sorry, the decrease in death anxiety <laughs> study, really, really interesting. They wanted to see if those who had a crazy fear of death, I shouldn't say crazy, like crazy strong <laughs> fear of death could be helped by expressing gratitude, becoming more appreciative and aware of the good parts of their life. And yes, it did. That's a really cool study if you want to read about it below. Increased resilience. This is one of the best ones, I think. This increased resilience, the ability to cope with life stressors better due to a regular gratitude practice, increasing your ability to notice and the ease in which you do express gratitude can help you with resilience in life. I think that is so, so cool. That directly goes into the one of preventing suicidal ideation. Ideation? I'm sorry. (laughs) Preventing suicidal ideation, right? Life is worth living because life is good due to your gratitude practice. And then the last one we talked about, which is increasing the gray matter of the brain, which is a direct result of those neural pathways. You can increase the gray matter in your own brain And you can have influence on what kind of gray matter you are producing, what that gray matter is doing for you as you create this gratitude practice, strengthen and deepen those deer tracks or those neural pathways to make that become an easier and a more automated response to whatever stressors or triggers you have in your life. The more you practice it, the easier it is, the more it becomes a habit. You activate that reward center in your brain And your brain realizes, wow, like this is really great. When I express gratitude, I feel awesome. And you're more likely to do it more and more. So that concludes all of our benefits, our neuroscience of gratitude expression. I just want to end with some great ways to practice gratitude. I'm sure we can all think of them off the top of our heads. But these are ones that I collected directly from these studies. These are some of the methods that the researchers used on the participants to get them to express gratitude and activate that gratitude neural pathway. So writing letters of appreciation. Is it appreciation or appreciation? (laughs) Appreciation. Um, Self-appreciation, which is just self-love, self-reflection, being grateful for you, what's good about you, your body, all those things. One study did gratitude visits where people identified someone they are grateful for and visited that person, kind of like giving back. Interesting. A gratitude meditation is very popular and wonderful. Also a mindfulness appreciation. So those are different in that you can meditate and do a guided meditation on what you're grateful for, but then mindfulness is sitting in this physical moment and being like, I'm grateful for this comfortable chair I am grateful for the beautiful view out my window, you know, right here in this moment being mindful versus a meditation. A good old gratitude list has got to be the number one most popular one is just list it out what you're grateful for. You get higher and stronger benefits, of course, if you do it daily over an extended period of time. So there's also the daily gratitude journal that a lot of the studies did. Noticing and looking for the good. So like in that movie that we talked about or in a person specifically making the effort to notice what you're grateful for in a situation where it wouldn't necessarily be the norm. And then lastly, there was a study where they had college students reflect on what went well in their week. So once a week, they had to sit down and reflect on what went well. So reflecting on what went well, what is good, can 
give you all these benefits and boost your gratitude neural response and make it more of a habit. So to end this episode, I want to give a takeaway from the study of Emmons, Emmons and McCullough, 2003 study. These two researchers are very, very famous in their gratitude research. They have a lot of awesome studies and their focus is on gratitude and the benefits and all of that. So anyways, in one of their studies, they said, quote, if you remember anything from this article, remember this. This study showed that counting your blessings seems to be a much more effective way of enhancing your quality of life than counting your burdens. So I just want to end this episode on that. Counting your blessings, as you can see, is a much more effective way of enhancing your quality of life than counting your burdens. Who doesn't want an enhanced quality of life No one, everyone wants that. So I am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful that I get to do this podcast. I'm so grateful for my life that gives me the ability to do this podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Makes my day every time someone listens to the podcast. Thanks for all the feedback. Thank you for your ratings and reviews. Means so much to me. Helps me keep the podcast going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving tomorrow. If you're not actually celebrating Thanksgiving, you can have the spirit of Thanksgiving in your heart always, especially as we go into this holiday season where it's so easy to want, 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 want. Consumerism hits us in the face. I hope you'll take away from this a little bit more understanding and desire to practice gratitude and increase your gratitude capacity to have a better quality of life. Thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to I Don't Care, I Love It. You can catch a new episode every Wednesday. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. And if you like this episode, we'd appreciate it so much if you could give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to this episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Five, one, three, two, stop.